Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We've been in the summer of direction and we've been looking at Jesus' um, letters um, written by John in the book of Revelation uh, to different churches. And um, we're coming to, um, yeah, it is a bit of a tough passage. We're coming to the letter that he writes to the church at Laodicea today. And um, it, it's, it's a hard one. It, it's a, a letter which contains the gravest warning to all the seven churches but also the greatest promises. So we are going to see how God uh, can really speak to us through the way that he spoke to this church and the way that he wants to speak to us this morning. So you'll see from um, the screen, if you haven't been following this series, you can catch up online, the various different uh, churches um, that is now the modern day Turkey region and um, how we come to now the book of Laodicea, the, the church at Laodicea. Let's read it together, shall we, from Revelation 3, verses starting at verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, be zealous, and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the only letter in the book of Revelation where there's no encouragement to soften the blow. It's a hard-hitting letter. It's a letter where basically it's a final warning. Your house is about to be repossessed. There's a writ and unless you respond, unless you respond very, very quickly and very urgently, the time is running out. So it is a hard letter for us to hear and it's a hard letter for us to apply into our own lives. The church has got nothing to commend it. 
Jesus usually starts with something that's encouraging, but not this time. Their deeds are not incomplete like Sardis. They're non-existent. It's not a church which tolerates heresy like Pergamon or one that turns a blind eye to sexual immorality like Thyatira. It's not over the top like the charismatic Corinthians, nor is it locked into legalism like the gullible Galatians. It's indifferent, it's apathetic, it's complacent, it's going nowhere, it's achieving nothing. It's almost an ex-church. But I like verse um, 19, and I think verse 19 is a bit of a key for us unlocking this passage, actually. And it's also a key to the whole of the seven letters in Revelation. To those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Who's ever been at the hands of discipline or rebuke from either a parent or a head teacher? Who still feels nervous when they have to go to school and expecting to stand outside the head teacher's office? I was um, outside the head teacher's office a number of times when I was at school, as you can imagine. And uh, it still makes us nervous, doesn't it? But some of those disciplines some of those rebukes have been timely for our lives, haven't they? They've been, they've been in the nick of time to save us from further disaster. And the key in this passage, I believe, is that verse. If we receive it that way, if the Laodicean church were to receive it that way, then they're going to be saved from this pending doom of, you know, now you're, you're so lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, it's horrible imagery, isn't it? I, I, I'm disgusted by you, but if you were to turn, if you were to repent, if you were to respond to my love letter today, then you're going to be receiving a promise, which is almost the greatest of promises in all of the seven letters. So that key is just think to yourself, I'm being rebuked a little bit. I don't like it very much, but it's motivated by love. It's a love letter. Um, let's just have a look a little bit at the whole city of Laodicea and put this passage in context so we can see why Jesus uses the imagery that he uses. Laodicea is actually the most famous of all the seven cities that are mentioned in Revelation. It's extremely wealthy. It's the poshest postcode on that postal route. Um, when the city was destroyed in an earthquake in AD 61, they were the only place that didn't need help from Rome to rebuild the city. They, were, they had enough money to do it themselves. That's a bit of a clue in what is both a strength and a weakness, their wealth and their self-sufficiency. They're on, um, Laodicea is on a highest plane above the region, looking down on the region. It has a very strong banking community. Um, they are, um, at the geographical location actually puts them at the centre of the trading routes in that region. They're famous for their black wool, which makes um, very special tunics. Um, they were very popular in the day. It's probably not Armani or anything like that, but it's the, the Armani of, of Laodicea. They've got a very important medical centre. 
um, which is known for its eye ointment. And people would travel from far and wide to get this eye treatment. They had at least the ruins show in, in our, the archaeologists say, looking at the ruins of that city, that they had at least three massive theatres and a circus. So they had good entertainment. And the circus, one of the, no, sorry, the theatre, one of the theatres held, was capable of holding 30,000 people. So it's pretty big. Um, there's only one thing missing in the physical realm in, um, in Laodicea and that is a fresh water supply. They haven't got a fresh water supply. So they have to pipe, and this is a really important key to this passage, they have to pipe water in from two neighbouring places. Um, they've got to bring the water in from um, Colossae where there are pure cold springs, um, or from Hierapolis, where there are hot medicinal springs. So from five miles away, they, there's, um, there's an aqueduct that's bringing in these springs into the city of Laodicea. Um, one of the things that would happen would be unsuspecting visitors to the city would, would arrive at the gates after a long hot journey and would kneel down to drink from these springs and then would, they would be seen throwing up at the side of the road. Because what had happened is, although the spring had started off hot, it had become lukewarm on the journey and then become toxic. And the, the, the people that live in the city would know this and would let the water cool to a, a safe temperature to drink. But the travellers didn't know and the, the whole locals would stand laughing at the travellers puking up at the side of the road. Hence, uh, you make me want to puke or you make me sick. Um, so it, he's using imagery here which is shocking uh, the, the, the people that are reading this letter, shocking them around something that would be a regular sight for them and saying, actually, that's the way you make me feel. You make me feel sick by your complacency, by your apathy. I want you to go on boil again. I want you to be hot. I want you to return. I want you to be zealous for me. I want you to be somebody that people look at and say, wow, that person's on fire for Jesus. What's the definition of a zealot? Somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. You can be very critical, can't we? Well, that person's a really over-the-top, born-again Christian, always talking about Jesus. Yeah, they love Jesus more than I do. Don't like being around people like that because it makes me feel lukewarm sometimes, doesn't it? So, this is a love letter. And um, they're... They, I mean, this church thinks they're great. And that's what Jesus says to them, because you say you are rich and you have no need of anything. You need a wake-up call, Jesus says, because you're actually not rich. You're rich in material possession, but you're poor, pitiful, and blind. So the first thing he does is he sends them a loving warning in this love letter. He sends them a loving warning. He says, you're complacent, your indifference and your religiosity makes me feel sick. So he's using a shock tactic here to get them to wake up. And this is in keeping with um, any loving warning. If you were to see your child 
or in my case, my grandchild, go over to, to a really hot fire or a really hot radiator and they're just about to touch it and they're just about to really hurt themselves, you may be known to shout out, HOT! Or even yanking them, I'm not going to yank you, Catherine, even yanking them away from that danger. Because the worst thing is that your child is going to get burned or your friend is going to be in danger and you need to wake them up quickly. You need to send a shockwave, a warning to say, come on, if you don't respond to this, you're going to hurt yourself. It's a loving warning. Jesus is, is the, the clock is ticking and Jesus is, is actually seeing that they're becoming more lukewarm. They're in danger of not existing as a church anymore, of not honouring his name. And he wants them back. He wants them back to himself. He wants them to come back to him and respond to his word. As one commentator said, if judgment occurs in the present, its purpose is to prevent total, total exclusion in the future for us as Christians. If judgment comes in a timely way, in a loving way, in a godly way into your life, don't resist it. It's helping you for your future. It's keeping you safe for tomorrow. So there's a loving warning. And then there is loving advice. Jesus brings loving advice to this church. You see, he doesn't just point out the problem in my life, but he helps me with a solution. And uh, I'm absolutely convinced about that of the Christian faith. If you, if you feel on the margins of faith today, if you feel hurt or discouraged, if you feel that you've been left behind a little bit, or even if you feel that you're a bit lukewarm, there's loving advice coming to us today that is going to help to bring us back if we were to respond to it. And he uses buying and selling analogy here to help them to, as, as, a, as a, a community who are a banking community, who are used to buying and selling cloth and, and various different commodities. He uses buying and selling and he says, I'm counselling you to buy things that are really going to help you. I'm counselling you to buy gold refined in the fire, to, to, um, to buy from me white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness, to buy from, from me this ointment so that you can see. And the gold we find in the fire for a Christian is normally associated with suffering. And it's associated with when you go through the fire, do you come out as gold? Maybe there's been a lack of suffering in the life of this church. Maybe they've relied on their wealth and they've relied on the, and become self-sufficient and not been through some of the things that some of the other churches have been through and have, have now needing this gold refined in the fire. Maybe their, the, the white clothes um, is speaking to them of their immoral business dealings, possibly. Um, and. Get back to a lifestyle of holiness, says Jesus. Put on the white clothes, which symbolizes purity. Maybe the eye salve is a picture of the Holy Spirit giving you spiritual sight so that you can see the real state that you're in, so that you can see you wretched and pitiful and blind and then begin to respond. So there's a loving warning and there's some loving advice. And God is always wanting to win his children back. 
He's always wanting to find any which way possible to, to cause us to want to return to him, isn't he? Because he's a loving father. And then there's a loving promise here. Other churches in, in the book of Revelation are offered food from the tree of life. Other churches are offered things like security from the second death, a name written on a white stone. That's a beautiful promise. Or they can have authority over the nations if they overcome. Or they can have a place in the new Jerusalem. But this church in verse 21 is told, if you are overcome, you're going to sit with me on my heavenly throne. How good is that? This is him offering you the best seats in the house. This is you being offered a royal, to sit with him in a royal box. You see it, don't you, in the, the, the royal box at these gala presentations and the royal family are all sitting up in a box and having the best seats of the house and being able to watch the show. This is Jesus actually saying to his church, if you are overcome, if you will overcome, if you will turn back to me, if you will respond to my advice, if you would follow my ways, you're going to sit with me in heavenly places. It's worth responding to this message this morning, however you might feel. But then I got to thinking, how does a person, how does a Christian or how does a church become lukewarm? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Or even looked at yourself and thought, have I had any time in my 30-something years of being a Christian where, if I've been honest, I've said, actually, Deborah, you're a bit on the lukewarm side here. Uh, or, you, or you've got a lovely um, partner that you're married to who points it out to you, you know. Or the other way around, maybe. <laughs> um, what... what what, in what ways do we assess ourselves in our spiritual hotness or lukewarmness? And I think this, this doesn't happen overnight, does it? You see, this church, Laodicea, was once doing really well. If you look in the book of Colossians, you'll read that the church at Laodicea is mentioned about four times. And it's doing well. It's doing well. It's being commended. So, but that was last generation, that was a previous generation ago, they were doing well. And on the journey, they've cooled off, they've gone off boil. If you think about that freshwater spring from Hierapolis, it starts out hot, medicinally good for you, and it becomes lukewarm as it goes through the pipes. And I'm thinking that's exactly what happens to us on our spiritual journey. We go through life and things happen that cause us to lose our fervency for God. It happens to each one of us. Don't put your fingers in your ears at this time. Let the Spirit of God speak to us today and, 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 and heat us up again and, and cause us to be on fire for him again. So things like hurts, things like pe things that people have said to you, maybe in church that have put you off. I'm not going back to that church. I'm not being spoken to like that. And you stay at home and you, you neglect spiritual disciplines, maybe. Maybe you deliberately sin. Maybe people have sinned to you, towards you in such a way that you, you can't forgive them and you can't forgive God because of it. Why did that thing happen in my life? And all along that journey, you're becoming lukewarm. 
things are happening around you, choices that you're making, wrong choices that you're making, or, or even the wrong choices that people that you live with are making, and it affects your spiritual state, it affects your spiritual temperature, and you start to become lukewarm. And, and sometimes when you're becoming lukewarm, you don't even recognise it until you bump into somebody that is a little bit on fire for Jesus and really gets on your nerves. Stop talking about Jesus. I'm feeling a bit lukewarm. Leave me in my lukewarmness because I'm comfortable in here. And this is the challenge that comes to us today to allow the Holy Spirit in. Holy Spirit is in this place now, touching our lives and causing us to go back on boil for him if we were to just respond. So things happen that change your spiritual state. It's bound to when you think about it and the journey of life that you're on. When our daughter Sarah was about six years old, um, she, looked, she was having a bad day and she was having a strop, as sometimes kids do. And actually she did a couple of things that were really, really naughty. Um, she's not here today, so I can talk about it now. She knows that I'm telling you this story. She, she was a really naughty girl, and for a punishment, she was sent up to her room um, by her dad. And so she goes up to the room, and um, we get on with, with family life, and after a while, Frank remembers she's up in her room, so I better go up and check. I don't know how long she'd been up there. Well, it wasn't more than two or three days. Um, so he goes up to the room uh, to check, and maybe by now Sarah's cooled down a bit. Maybe by now Sarah's realised her wrongdoing, and um, maybe by now she's reflected on uh, how she's behaved during the day, and um, uh, she's gonna she's gonna be prepared to say sorry. So he goes up the stairs, and the door of the bedroom is shut and on the door is pinned a notice and in six-year-old handwriting she's written no daddy in here no daddy in here so she's she's not really sorry is she more angry so frank knocks on the door this silence knocks on the door, go away, no daddy in here, and eventually goes in and of course, you know, they are speaking now, <laughs> 30 something, no, 20 odd something years later, so it, that's it, not the end of the story, but he kneels by the bed and they talk and they, they talk about how she feels and eventually it turns into, yes, I'm sorry and he's sorry as well, maybe he's been a bit harsh and they pray together and wipe the tears and uh, it's all okay. But that is what we do with our hurts, isn't it? That is what we do with our wrongdoing. We pin up a notice, no daddy in here. See, that's one of the things that causes a barrier with intimacy between us and the Father who loves us and wants to rebuke us sometimes because of that love is things have happened in your life and in my life and even to the point I believe there's one or two people here today who are actually thinking it's actually too late for me to be hearing this message. I wish I'd heard this message about 20 years ago. That is 
I can understand you feel why you might feel that way, but actually that is not biblically the way God portrays himself in our lives. Do you know, even at the last minute for the thief on the cross, Jesus was able to turn and say, today you're going to be with me in paradise. There is no judgment or condemnation for the people of God. There's a loving rebuke. There's, there's some loving advice. But if we were to respond, no matter how close to the edge we've walked, then there's this promise. So take down that, that little scrap of paper that you've put on your heart, which says, no daddy in here. Maybe you are a Christian today and you're walking with God and things are really well, but there's still little bits of your heart that you won't let him in. Because actually, if I'm to let you into that little bit of me, I'm afraid about what that might mean. Maybe you'll give me some massive call to a scary place with snakes just to punish me because you know I don't like snakes. Actually, I'm going to Australia and they've got snakes there in October and I'm really scared of snakes, Jenny. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. But God isn't like that. God isn't on the prowl looking for things to disappoint us and thinking he'll send us to places just to punish us because he knows we can't cope with that or pushing us out of our comfort zone beyond which we can cope with because he knows that's going to help us to grow. God isn't like that. So take that notice off the door of every aspect of your heart and of your life and let him in. So then to finish with, there's a loving promise and a loving appeal. If anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. That have this intimate meal and that's Holman Hunt's painting on the screen. Hope you can see it. And that's Jesus standing at the door and knocking. But the handle is on the inside. He's not going to push his way in. He respects your choice. He respects your individual your individuality, your free will. He doesn't barge his way into our life. But he's lovingly knocking. And that's proof as well how much he loves this church. He's lovingly knocking. He's not walking away in a huff. Oh, you make me sick. I don't want to have anything more to do with you. No, he's lovingly knocking and persistently knocking. But you need to open the handle on the inside. So let's bow our heads together. And we, we've got the worship team are coming up and we've got plenty of time to respond. There's a lovely prayer area over to my left. There's a, a fantastic prayer team who've already been praying for you, who are ready to pray for you. Um, we're here and we've got time. Let the Holy Spirit flow now with any prophetic things that he wants to do or say or underline what I've brought today. Jesus is here knocking, knocking. Could be that some have never opened that door even 
ever entered into a relationship with him at all, and this is an opportunity for you to do that. Just raise your hand if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, and I'll happily pray with you now. Everybody's eyes closed, everybody's head bowed. If anybody wants to just respond and say, yeah, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm ready to open that door, just raise a hand. I pray with you. Father, we just come right now and we ask you to help us to be earnest, zealous for you as we respond to this word. Lord, touch our hearts where we've maybe grown cold. And minister to us from your word today, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Just feel free to stand or to stay seated or to move into the prayer area. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.